This is a little boy who is wearing the costume of the mascot of his favorite team. Karen J. Phillips, at bottom, not only is he saying that it's racist, he's saying it is, and maybe some of you have heard the term, that it is cultural appropriation. Ladies and gentlemen, almost everything in your life is some element of cultural appropriation. The idea that is driving this, whether Karen J. Phillips is intelligent enough to know it or not, I, I can't say, but this is a kind of cultural Marxism that is driving all of this stuff. Cultural Marxism, you must understand that the thing is never the thing. It's never about that. It's not, not about that. It's to weaponize your morality and use it against you while they're hijacking the culture. That is a Kansas City Chiefs fan, a little boy by the name of Holden Armenta. He's dressed like a chief. I mean, how shocking at a Kansas City Chiefs game. He's dressed as the mascot of the team, and he's wearing the headdress. One half of his face is painted in black. The other half of his face is painted red. Those are the Kansas City Chiefs colors. Now, Deadspin, that trashy publication uh, that does nothing but mud rake and seek to divide and uh, um, a purveyor of viciousness and gossip, Karen J. Phillips, and that's a man, by the way, Karen, Karen J. Phillips. So the confusion begins just immediately with this. This was the headline to his article. The NFL needs to speak out against the Kansas City Chiefs fan in blackface and native headdress. Yes, I mean, something has to be done about this little boy. I mean, we just can't permit these kinds of things to go on. I'd be curious. I'd love to go into the archives of Karen J. Phillips' articles and see how many times he has said that people need to speak out against, say, Antifa and Black Lives Matter, you know, violent protests. I wonder if he has published anything about police violence at the January 6th rally. You know, I wondered if he, I'm just wondering, you know, maybe somebody, a member of the posse will take a look at that. I will, I will bet you the answer is no. He's done nothing to that effect because what Karen J. Phillips is doing here is he is he's trying to stir controversy. And by the way, he's been quite successful at it. He's he's achieved it here. And I should say that today's podcast is about abortion. Today's show, I really shouldn't call it a podcast. I mean, it's it's a full fledged show. But it's about abortion. But I wanted to begin with this because I want to make you aware of the ideas. I mean, this is ideas have consequences. The ideas that drive these kinds of things, uh, that drive guys like Karen J. Phillips. What he is arguing in his article is that he is saying that this little boy is being trained, is being taught to be racist. I mean, how dare him dress as a Kansas City chief? And 
it's worth noting that no team, you know, all the carry on about, um, let's say, the Florida State Seminoles um, or the Atlanta Braves or the Cleveland Indians, or in this case, the, the Kansas City Chiefs, no team chooses a mascot that they don't think is cool. No team chooses a mascot that they don't think is cool. You don't want to choose a bad mascot. You don't want to choose something that that you feel nothing but condescension and disdain for. You want to choose something that you feel is badass. I mean, just something that you think is strong and you you want to model and emulate and strikes fear into your opponents. Hence the reason that they give themselves these kinds of names, whether it's Indians or it's, uh, it's cowboys or something to that effect. Now, it is interesting to point out that there have been efforts, pressure placed on Florida State, for example, to get rid of their mascot, the, the Seminole. And if you know anything about Florida State, Florida State, which is right now, you know, striving for a place in the college football playoff, you know that the Seminole rides out at the beginning of the game, at home games, on his, uh, on his horse, and he thrusts a spear into the ground. The crowd cheers, and they do the ch- tomahawk chop. Now, the tomahawk chop, which originated there, has been picked up by other teams, by the Atlanta Braves, most notably, by the um, Cleveland Indians, and here by the Kansas City Chiefs. So what that boy is doing is that is the, that's the, you know, the tune um, of the Florida State Seminoles. Dun, 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 dun. That's that's what they do at their games. And other teams, professional teams, have copied it. And it's cool. It's cool, particularly when a whole stadium is is doing it. It's kind of awe-inspiring. And if you're the, the other team, it's meant to intimidate you and feel you're greatly outnumbered. And here's this little boy who is wearing, he's wearing the jersey of his favorite player. He's wearing the full headdress. And his face is painted. Now, what happened here was a photograph must have come across, let's say, Karen J. Phillips at Deadspin. Karen J. Phillips' Twitter feed or social media or something, which showed the boy in profile on this side where he saw just the black on this boy's face. And thus, he immediately reacted and said, ah, he's wearing blackface. The boy is wearing blackface. This is racist. This needs to stop. But if you looked at him in profile on this side, he was red on that side of his face. And the two colors together are, in fact, the colors of the Kansas City Chiefs. Did you know that the pressure that's placed on the Seminoles, the Florida State Seminoles, to get rid of their name and to call them something pointless like the you know, um, Washington commanders, if they've, they've done now, that the Seminole Indians, who um, are still very much, you know, a thing, very active in Florida, they came out and said, no, we don't want them to do that. We, we think this brings attention to us, the Seminole people, and we think it's cool. We think it's cool. You know, the Seminoles, here's a little bit of history for you. The Seminoles are the only tribe that was never, they they never were conquered. It wasn't until World War II when um, many Seminole Indians wanted 
to join the United States Army or the Navy or the Marine Corps, what have you, um, to fight in World War II, that the United States government said, you know, you actually can't because there's never been a formal treaty with the Seminole Nation. And so a peace treaty was signed in 1941 with the Seminole people. Isn't that fascinating? I would want to be a Seminole. That's cool. I mean, that's that's a cool mascot. And this boy here is clearly paying homage. He's, you know, your purpose in doing, I don't have a problem with blackface or for that matter with whiteface. You know, I think of the um, the Wayans brothers, you know, who did the very funny movie White Chicks. <laughs> the and they put on whiteface. I think it depends on what your purpose is in doing that. If your purpose is to is to be racist, then there's something wrong with that. And you deserve, you know, condemnation. But that's not what's going on here. This is a little boy who is wearing the costume, the gear of the mascot of his favorite team. And why is he doing it? Because he's honoring it because he thinks it's cool, as, as any little boy would. Now, here's the great twist in the story. And by the way, I should also throw this in. Karen J. Phillips, at bottom, not only is he saying that it's racist, he's saying it is, and maybe some of you have heard the term, that it is cultural appropriation. It is cultural appropriation. Um, so you will hear that I've heard, you know, students being shouted down, let's say a the white student or a Hispanic student, you know, being shouted down on a college campus because they had cornrows. You know, they'd done that. That was somehow cultural pro appropriation of of black people. Ladies and gentlemen, almost everything in your life is some element of cultural appropriation from the clothes you wear to the programs you watch to the food that you eat. I mean, is there is there any element of life that has a stronger element of cultural appropriation than a menu at almost any American restaurant? Everyone's going to encounter pain in their life. The questions deal with the degree of one's pain and the source of one's pain and how we deal with our pain. In this course, I'm speaking very personally about my own pain and some of the lessons that I've learned in coping with pain, how we minister to people with pain, and what kind of perspective are we to have on the big questions that surround pain and human suffering. Why would you take a course like this? Well, presumably, if you haven't suffered in your own life, you will encounter people who do, and undoubtedly some of them are people who are very near and dear to you. I think it'd be very helpful for you to take a course like this in order to understand what they're experiencing and the way that you minister to people in those kinds of circumstances. So I'd love for you to take this course of mine, and I wanna tell you this, that when you subscribe to Tome, you get access not just to my course, but to more than a hundred other courses that are dealing with very practical issues and assisting you in living and in flourishing. So where can you get this course? Well, you can't get it at Amazon. You can't get it at Apple. You can't get it at Netflix. You can only get it at Tome. So I want you to go to tomeapp.com slash pain 
to learn more about my course. Let's get back to the podcast. The brilliance of the United States has often been the ability to take things from other cultures, repackage it, and then export it as something that's, you know, I I remember uh, a Mexican telling me years ago that the, I think it was the taco, saying that taco is a Mexican. And I thought, we'll take it. We'll claim it. (laughs) I'll be happy to claim it. I don't know whether it is or not. I I think he's actually wrong in in that regard. But uh, the point is, that there are all kinds of things. Last night, my wife and I went out for Italian. Were we appropriating culture? I suppose. <laughs> Delightfully. It was so very good. I love Italian food. If we're going to say that every culture has to remain in its own lane, that is going to be very interesting. And it's going to be very interesting for for a black community, for a Hispanic community, for all of us. And that is because we're all taking different ideas from different cultures. We maybe look at something that uh, another culture I personally have enjoyed when I've, I've thought it was very interesting that as I travel around the world, that, for instance, in uh, um, along the Mediterranean, as well as, you know, in South America, they dress much more intelligently about when it comes to hot weather. We don't. I mean, here, here I am in the American South, and in the summer, uh, we dress badly. We wear thick blue jeans. We wear in, inappropriate, um, I mean, for the weather, uh, inappropriate uh, um, fabrics. They often don't. Those people who, you know, at least who can afford it, they're wearing things like linen, you know, very, very light cotton, things that that look stylish, that look good, but that are appropriate to the weather. They're much cooler. Also, as Southerners, we don't dress appropriately for cold weather either. You know, we just we just never do. So I've appropriated that from those cultures. I've thought that's smart. That's smart. They 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 dress according to the weather. We appropriate other cultures, and um, but here, Karen J. Phillips is saying this is something really awful. This is terrible. I mean, should never be permitted. And worse, it's racism. Well, the idea that is driving this, whether Karen J. Phillips is intelligent enough to know it or not, I. I can't say, but this is a kind of cultural Marxism that is driving all of this stuff. So when you you see something like this and you're going, oh, wow, gosh, I, you know, I guess I should never do that. I, I guess I shouldn't eat Mexican food. And I guess, um, you know, my child can't dress up as an Indian chief to go to a Kansas City Chiefs game because that's racist, that's cultural appropriation, that's nonsense. Cultural Marxism, you must understand that the thing is never the thing. It's never about that. It's not not about that. It's to weaponize your morality and use it against you while they're hijacking the culture. I mean, these are people who are without morality, but they want to use your morality against you to make you feel guilty for something that 
Um, they are saying you're doing that is hypocritical, that is racist, that is, um, you know, due to your whiteness or something uh, along those lines. And again, it's about hijacking your morality and using it against you. And this is what I mean. I say this on this show frequently. Um, it's what I call Christian-ish, Christian-ish. And what I mean by that is if your morality is Christian-ish, that is to say it's more vague sentiment, it's sentimentality, it's just your feelings, you've, you've kind of picked up on, on certain um, Christian ideas, but because you don't understand um, that faith, you're not a member of it, you've not actually rooted your beliefs, your ideas in Christian principles, you're more Christian-ish. So you have, you, it's easy, you're an easy target, you're easy prey for cultural Marxists. And that's because you have, they know that you have some kind of vague ideas about equality, uh, about love. And so they come to you and they say, well, you know, do you have a problem with two men loving each other? Do you have a problem with, uh, with uh, two women loving each other? Do you have a problem with a, a man loving a little boy and a little boy loving a man and that they want to have consensual sex? Do you have a problem with these things? And if, if you're, you're Christian-ish, rather than rooted in actual Christian principles, you'll go, gosh, I, you know, I guess, you know, it's about love. It's about love. It's about social justice. It's about, it's about peace. It's about us all getting along. That's what it's about. No, that's, that's not what it's about. That's Christian-ish. I love what my friend Chad Prather tweeted this past week. I thought this was spot on. He said, Jesus was not a nice man. That's a jarring opening line to a tweet. Jesus was not a nice man. He was a good man. That's a, that's a terrific way of articulating that. Jesus was not a nice man. He was a good man. And there is a difference in that because the Christian faith is not about turning a blind eye when Jesus said, turn the other cheek. It's not about being civil. It's about being salt and light. And there's a distinction between those things. And hence, when a guy like uh, this... Um, uh, what shall I call him? Karen J. Phillips. A guy like this, this is actually kind of an evil thing to do. Now, Karen J. Phillips may have no idea what cultural Marxism is. He might just be um, a useful idiot to the, to the social engineers who are driving this. But it's a wicked thing to do because, first of all, he's targeted a child. He's targeted a child. I think he maybe is 10 years old. And by the way, there's a terrific picture of him with the Raiders cheerleaders. They were so deeply offended, you know, by, by his um, cultural appropriation that they posed for a picture with him. But what he's done here is he's attacked a child. And then secondly, it's just an effort to cause 
division. And I'm very mindful of what scripture has to say on this. Titus chapter three, verse 10 says this, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self condemned. I mean, those are very strong words. We, we tend to think that things like gossip, those are minor sins. We, we tend, our hierarchy of sins is very different than that of the Lord's. And here, you say, this, this kind of person, they're warped. Stay away from them. Karen J. Phillips, uh, uh, these kinds of individuals, they're warped. Stay away from them. And he's attacking a child. But as I started to say earlier and then rudely interrupted myself... The great twist in the story is this, this little boy, this young man, Holden Armenta is of native American descent. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, not only was he not in blackface, you know, they just saw this side of his face, didn't see the red on the other side of his face, but he's appropriating his own culture. He is of Native American descent. And this brings me to another thing about modern media. What? How long would it have taken? 10 minutes? Two minutes on social media to find more pictures of this kid and to see that he wasn't in blackface. But then secondly... He clearly didn't bother to interview the parents about this to know anything about what he was writing. He just uh, he saw it and then he saw an opportunity to attack. And that's what he did. That's what he did. But again, that's because the cultural Marxists, ladies and gentlemen, they are never about the thing. The thing is just a weapon against you. It's a way for, for um, an individual to hold their lapels, literally or metaphorically speaking, and to act like they're morally superior to you. How dare this boy dress like, I mean, this is so racist. This, this is what's happening in this particular story here. Guys like this, they're warped, sinful, dismiss them. They are not individuals who deserve a moment of your time, unless it's a moment to go on social media and trash them, which I encourage you to do because guys like this, he is, he is trying to get you to attack a child. Go after him, go after him on social media. Hit the pause button for just a moment, pick up your phone, and look for Karen, C-A-R-R-O-N, Karen J. Phillips, and let him know what you think um, about this, because this is terrible. It's an awful thing to do, and it is, of course, cultural Marxism. But this is why it's very important that you have um, ideas, principles, that are rooted in something more than just vague sentiment, that are rooted in something more than just your feelings. They need to be rooted in the eternal. They, needed, they need to be rooted in the eternal. And I, as a Christian, I know there are many people who, who watch this show, who listen to this show, who are not themselves Christian. Well, um, you probably have inhaled 
deeply, as I say, of a Judeo-Christian worldview, and hence the reason you hold your particular moral outlook. But even then, I would say that you need to root it in the eternal principles of Scripture, and that is to say to root them in the person of Jesus Christ. That's our fixed point. Jesus Christ is our fixed point. And by the way, <clears throat> taking on Marxist, it's not new. We've been taking on these kinds of bad ideas forever, forever. And we've won. There's, you know, as, as Scripture tells us, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. It's all been seen. It has all been done. I saw a brief interview of Bertrand Russell. Are you familiar with Bertrand Russell, the famed atheist, the British atheist of a previous generation? But just to give you some idea of the passage of time, I thought this was fascinating in this little interview with Bertrand Russell. He was born in 1872, died in 1970. But he was talking about his youth and that he had been raised by his grandparents. Well, his grandfather, his um, paternal grandfather, was Lord John Russell, who was Prime Minister of England in the 1840s. Okay? So Bertrand Russell knew his grandfather who was prime minister of England in the 1840s, and he was talking about how his grandfather knew Napoleon. Think about the passage of time there. That's extraordinary. We go from Napoleon to Bertrand Russell's grandfather to Bertrand Russell, who died in my lifetime, who is talking about his grandfather knowing Napoleon. <laughs> That's absolutely, it's absolutely incredible. We, as, as, um, as a historian, I'm very aware that the passage of time is frequently... Not the way we think of it. It is actually fairly brief. And these ideas, these ideas have been around in one form or another for a very long time. I mean, Bertrand Russell, again, who died in, in, um, in 1970, Bertrand Russell, Karl Marx was still alive when Bertrand Russell was born. And um, uh, Karl Marx didn't develop um, what we call cultural Marxism, but he is certainly the author of Marxism, which is a weaponized um, socialism. And um, this, is, this is what these kinds of ideas are. This is what this is about.